You're listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan. Today, we have a special guest missionary with us. Let's prepare our hearts as our guest missionary brings forth God's truths from His Word today. Oh, it's, I feel especially happy tonight to have Brother Solomon here. I feel like I'm back home. I would say, uh, good night, Algata. Amen. I'm glad to see him. And over there, we don't say good night at the end of the service. We say it at the beginning of the service. If it's dark out, you say good night. And uh, afternoon, uh, in the afternoon. But uh, it, it's a joy to, to have him here. Mihamamas. I mean, I'm happy uh, about uh, him being here to know where he's going. Also, I've traveled all over Central Province. Um, they gave me a little wallaby. Uh, one time, uh, very common in central province, wallabies up in the up Quiquila, and uh, we took it back and we named it Bimmy, B-I-M-I-E. We named him Bimmy, uh, but the rats got him. But anyway, uh, and uh, he fought with the rats and lost. But uh, then uh, Brother Holmes, my dear Pastor Holmes, my friend Holmes Taco, all of a sudden Bimmy showed up again. He went and got another one. And he said, I said, you're a faith healer. You've raised him from the dead. And he said, no, it's Bimmy 2. <laughs> but Bimmy 2 didn't make it either. But anyway, <laughs> uh, fortunately, nobody ate him. But uh, it's so good. And unless you get real worried, you got one to, what, your village one talk. They'll help him with his money, I hope. Uh, I, all, in Papua New Guinea, we have a thing called one talks. With You're from a village, you're certain from area. They're your one talks. And they help you get the bride price. They also help bury you. Uh, you know, the, the village comes together and, and assists each other. And if you don't help them, they don't help you, right? Am I right? <laughs> Amen. But uh, Lord willing, he'll have a little help in that. I have a friend that is in, uh, well, he's in heaven now, but he was in Uganda. And uh, he was started an orphanage, uh, Soroti, and... Um, he had a man that was a guard that watched his house, which is very common. They, they have gated buildings and where they live, and have, they hire a security guard. Well, the man came to him one day and said, Pastor, is it okay? I need a couple days off. I've got a friend who will guard the house. He said, yes. He says, what, what, what's going on? I'm getting married. And, of course, it's arranged marriage. But he said, uh, uh, oh, I'm excited for you. He said, uh, uh, yes, I have to go do something, my dowry. And uh, I, I, he said, well, what's the dowry? He says, um, um, her father is a chief. I don't think he likes me, but uh, he wants me to kill a lion with a knife. And that's my dowry. And, uh, I, I, and my friend asked him, are you going to do it? He says, oh, yes, my, my friends and I, we've figured it out. We'll, we'll build a funnel type thing. I'll wrap my arm in cloth. They'll run the lion through there. I'll shove my arm up his mouth. I'll come up with the knife and kill him. And by the way, he did. How'd you like a guy like that? Take care of your house. Amen. I, he was telling that story in my church. And you know how sometimes when you're a little older, uh, I had an older gentleman and his wife sitting there and he thinks he's being soft, but he lost a little bit of his hearing. So the whole church heard what he said. He turned to his wife and said, oh, surely we wouldn't be married. There's like, <laughs> I'll tell you one thing. He honestly, he wanted that woman. I'll tell you that much. 
he'll go kill a lion with his with just a knife like that. Uh, so men, how much do you love your wife? Anyway, uh, what are you willing to do to receive her? But uh, again, we've shared each night uh, how much you're going to give, and your faith promise is number one dependent on your willingness to listen to the Holy Spirit of God. I had a great illustration. I was listening to a preacher today. He talked about it. He came home one time and his, his little girl was having a birthday and she wanted balloons. So he blew up like 20 or 30 balloons and put them in there. And she came in and her face, her countenance had fallen, you know, a biblical term, and the countenance had fallen. She said, sweetheart, what's wrong? He said, these aren't balloons like I get at the store. He said, oh, you mean the helium balloons? Well, no, these are better. Daddy made these. He said, no, 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 you've got to, you've got to push them up. The helium stay up on their own. And uh, he equated it to kind of like church work. He said, he said, now you need to give. And so we, we, we shout and we kick the balloon up in the air for a little bit. And we all get up in the air for a little bit before long we fall back down. He said, and now you need to witness. So he kicks them up in the air and the balloons hang up and then they fall back down. He said, but if they're filled with the helium, they stay up on their own. Amen. And if we're filled with the Holy Spirit of God, pastor doesn't have to shout and kick us up in the air every once in a while. We're just going to, we're going to be up there already on our own. Amen. And uh, so willingness to be led by the Holy Spirit of God. If you're saved, he lives within you. Not part of him. You didn't get just a little bit of him. You got all of them you're ever going to get. But he doesn't have all of us that he's ever going to get. So willingness. Number two, realization of the need. As I sat and watched that, can you not see the need? There's a tremendous need. In the central province where our dear brother is going, I only personally know of about four churches in the whole central province. I'm sure there's some more fellowships that have started. But uh, tremendous need. Miles and miles of road that you travel with villages and uh, no gospel preaching work. So please, the tremendous need in that area. And then your interest in this church's program. I, ho I hope you go down this hallway over here. I love to do it and read all the, I, I like to read my, my uh, contemporaries who, who I live with and see what they're doing and what's going on. And some of them, this is the only way I get to know what's going on in their life because we don't see each other. Some of the dearest people I love I don't get to fellowship with, I'll get to in heaven one day. I mean, we're, we're kindred spirits. And uh, so your interest in the church program, and then please always remember, equal sacrifice, not necessarily equal gifts. I hope and pray God will speak to our hearts tonight. The message tonight, a little different. I, well, I'm a little different, so that, that doesn't, make any, doesn't make any sense there, does it? But, uh, and we won't have it unless I can find it here in a minute. But... Uh, um, somebody said, well, you can't bring fire on paper. I said, no, but you can light a fire with paper, amen? Well, I got it in this book instead, never mind. If you got your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 14, please. Luke chapter 14. I forgot, I wrote it down in a different one because it's relatively new. Luke chapter 14, I want us to read probably some of the most unpopular verses in the Bible. I remember when I was first on staff in a church in Mississippi, the 
pastor got up and read those, and the song leader who was sitting next to me on the platform, I'll never forget it, he turned to me and he said, I hate those verses. And I was, I was waiting for lightning to come down or something, you know. I thought, whoa, what do you say? And I think the reason he reacted to him because he didn't understand the verses. He was just lightly thinking about those verses. But Luke chapter 14, look at verse, if you would please, 26 and 27. Probably the most misunderstood, some of the most misunderstood Bible verses in the Bible. Jesus speaking says, if any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. I want to talk tonight on the subject, are God's demands on us extreme? Is God asking of us something that is impossible to do? I lightly read this and it says, if you hate not. I remember Dr. Curtis Hudson. He was the editor of the Sword of the Lord for years, yesteryear. He's in heaven now. I remember hearing him preach on this subject, and he had a humor about him that was unbelievable. He would talk about, he says, the Bible says, if you hate not your father. And he said his father, well, there were about four of us boys or five boys in the family, and he said he used to take a switch and just beat the fire out of us. I mean, he, he'd spank us so bad, and he said, but... You know, and I could work up a hatred for him, but then he worked like a coal mine type situation. He said he'd come home in the afternoon and his body hurt so bad he'd lay on the front porch of the house, hard breathing because of the black lung. And he said, I can't hate my daddy. All he's done to help us to be able to eat and be the boys we should be. He said, hate your mother. He said, no, I can't hate my mama. He said, oh, now, Mama, she had a habit at the meal table. He said, we'd sit down to pray, and we were typical boys playing and messing around. And he'd, she'd say, now, let's pray together. And we'd be giggling and laughing. And he had, she's had a habit of backhanding us. She wouldn't spank us. She'd just whop right side of the head. And of course, Dr. Hudson kind of looked a little cross-eyed sometimes. He said, that's why I'm cross-eyed right now. He said, Mama, there's a place God provided for such activity. And it doesn't have my eyeballs there. But uh, he said, so I could work up a real madness. He said, but then I couldn't hate my mama. Because at one time we were snapping beans on the front porch. And I did what every little boy thinks about doing. Not all of them do it. He said, I shoved a bean up my nose just to see how far it would go. And, then, and all of a sudden, I, every time I reached up there to try to get it, it went farther. And I couldn't get it out of my nose. And he said, Mama, tears rolling down. And the Mama, that bean got up there, started burning, started hurting. And he said, Mama, he said, did you stick a bean in your Mama, I did it. He said, she tickled me, I sneezed. Shoo! And boy, shot that bean all the way across the room. He said, I can't hate a mama. Help you get a, a green bean out of your nose. He said, I could hate my sisters. I didn't have any problem there, he said. <laughs> you know, I, I didn't have a bit of problem there. And, but he, he said, it was a great day when I learned I didn't have to hate them like we think of the word hate. 
a disciple, and I think if you're a child of God, you want to be a disciple. You want to be a follower, a learner, a disciplined one of Jesus Christ. And discipleship involves an active participation in the life, the walk, and the work of Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ. But when Jesus uses the word hate there, it's a word of comparison. Uh, Have you ever been driving down the road uh, and you're driving the speed limit because you're a good Christian, amen? You're driving the speed limit down the road and all of a sudden somebody rips past you and somebody says, wow, they passed me like I was. You weren't standing still though, were you? Uh Uh-uh. You were going 55, 65, 70 miles an hour. They passed you like... Now, they were going so fast, it made it appear that you were not moving. You see what I mean? And our our Lord is trying to tell us here, our love for Jesus Christ, our, our desire to please Him, will make it appear sometimes that we don't actually love the folks closest to us. I think the best Bible commentary on the Bible is the Bible. If you've got your Bible, turn back to Genesis chapter 29. God explains this to us or gives us an illustration. Genesis chapter 29. This is a story about Jacob and Rachel and Leah. Remember, uh, Jacob had worked to get Rachel. And uh, he woke up the next morning. It wasn't her. I'm going to ask. No, I probably won't ask the Lord about that. But I've wondered about some of those verses sometimes. But he got up the next morning, it was a different woman than he thought he was going to marry. So he had to work another seven years uh, to get her. He ended up with Leah, excuse me. Laban was the, 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 the father. And he says in verse number 30, and he went in also unto Rachel, and he loved also. Now, stop right there. He loved also Rachel. So did Jacob love Rachel? Yes or no? Yes. But it says he loved also Rachel. So did he love Leah? Yes. He loved her also, not just the one of them, but he all, he loved also Rachel more than Leah and served him yet another, uh, yet seven other years. And when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, Now, in the human eyes, Jacob didn't hate her like we think of the word hate. But his love for uh, for, for Rachel was of such that it gave the appearance that he didn't even love Leah. That God said, it looks like you hate her. So when our Lord is telling us, if if you hate not your father, mother, brothers, wives, children, brethren, and sisters, and all that, yea, my own life, you cannot be my disciple. The idea is... Your love is so much for the Lord Jesus Christ that sometimes to others it might appear you don't love somebody. Example, do we have anybody here that has their children or on the mission field anyplace? Anybody got a child on the mission field? Okay. One of the first things I love to ask. Now, do your, you know, do your kids love you? Well, yeah. How could they love you and take grandkids to another country? Now think that through. How could they look at you and say, I love you, Dad. I love you, Mom. 
but we're going to Papua New Guinea. You're taking my grandkids from me? What, you don't love me anymore? Yes, Mama, I love you. But my love for the Lord is of such that you may think I'm not loving you, but I do love you. You see what I'm trying to say? It's a word of comparison. It doesn't mean they don't like them, but their love for the Lord, R.G. Lee, great preacher of yesteryear, the very day he married his wife, they got married, they went off together, he sat her down on their honeymoon and said, sweetheart, I want you to know something. I love you, but there's somebody else. You know, whoa. She said, what do you mean? He says, I love you with all my heart, but I love the Lord Jesus Christ first and foremost. Now, I don't think you have to alienate one to love the other. Please understand that. But what God is trying to say here, he's asking us, are we willing to love him ultimately above anything else in our life? Does God mean for me to give my all? So many of God's children are looking for a way to live a, what I call a divided religion between God and the world. But sadly, most of the time, God gets the leftovers if it's convenient, if we can possibly do it. No, God gets the leftovers of it. Are God's demands extreme for devotion? I was reminded there's extreme sports. I mean, they, they take a helicopter off the top of some mountain and jump out of a perfectly good helicopter, get on skis, and take off down someplace they've never gone before. You remember a few years back, there was a mountain climber, went out mountain climbing by himself. He fell into a hole, a rock wedged against him. He took his own knife, cut his own arm off. I mean, no, <laughs> that's pretty extreme, folks. You know, that's an extreme. And by the way, our Lord said, if your hand offend thee, Cut it off. What's he talking about? Extreme. Deal with things extremely. Are God's demands extreme? Now, again, this is a little different message. I want to, number one, uh, if I could lay some logic out on you. I'd like to say, number one, our lost condition was extreme. When we were lost, you say, well, wait a minute, I'm not bad as somebody else. It doesn't matter. We are extremely lost. We're not just a little bit lost. We didn't almost make it. Romans chapter 3 verse 10, as it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. For, verse uh, 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every one of us, you say, wait a minute, but I'm not as bad as someone else. Even our righteousness, the Bible says, is filthy rags. We were helpless. Isaiah 53, we're all gone on our own way. He's turned everyone to his own way. We couldn't even find our own way out. I got to thinking one time, my kids all grew up in a Christian home. Well, we tried to be. And we tried to teach them right and wrong. And we tried to protect them from certain things. Like when we grew up, we, and you may be this way, and I, I even cringe saying it, we wouldn't let our kids say the word stupid. They couldn't call their sister or brother stupid. That was off limits. That's like cursing, we said. You can't say that. You can't call your brother or sister stupid. So my biblical son was reading Proverbs, 
And he got to the word brutish, and he saw the cross-reference that it means brutish, so he ran around calling his sisters brutish sometimes. But you know how, how, how it is. But we, we tried to control their environment. So therefore, they didn't have the ability to have as much fruit of sin visible as maybe somebody else. Do you see what I'm trying to say? You can have a nice little apple tree and you prune that thing and you take care of it it won't just go wild and do what it wants but then you've got some over here that nobody takes care of a child left to himself bringing his mother to shame and they can grow and they can do and they can have all the fruits of sin visible in their life but they're both apple trees and we were extremely lost we were just a little bit lost we, and, and, and I have a dear evangelist friend, he says, I don't ask people if they're saved. I always ask them, when did you get lost? Because you cannot be saved unless you were lost. Unless you realize you can't make it to heaven on your own. You've got to be lost first. Number two, our penalty for sin is extreme. I don't have it here, but if I had a cigarette lighter, I'd borrow it from one of these missionaries. No. If I had a cigarette lighter and I lit that cigarette lighter, none of us would sit here and hold our finger on it, would we? Now, come on, would we? No, we wouldn't. You say, that's kind of dumb, isn't it? Well, the Bible teaches us if we don't know Christ as our Savior, there's a place called hell. Now, there's a lot of verses in the Bible I'd love to rip out if this was a cafeteria Bible. I'd take Luke 16 out of there, amen? No wonder the seven-day Adventist Jehovah Witnesses say it's a parable and it's not true. But the, biblically, it is true. It's a real story about real people who, who woke up in hell and he said, I'm tormented in these flames. There is a real hell. Torments, flame. The worst part about hell is separation. And some people say, well, wait a minute. Fire is just a symbol. It's just a symbol of being separated for God, okay? Jesus is called the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Now, he wasn't a picking any sips. Now, he, he wasn't a little bitty lamb, amen? That's a pigeon for little, sheep, little lamb. He wasn't a little bitty lamb. He's a grown man. A symbol is something smaller representing something much bigger. An icon, maybe that's the word I should use nowadays. That icon just as a, a picture of something much bigger. So even if fire is just a picture, it's much worse than we even think it is. It's torment, flame, separation. It's thirst. If you could dip his finger in water and cool my tongue, it's memory. You know, one of the terrible things about hell is we they would remember. If you die and go to hell tonight, you will remember this service. You will know every opportunity you ever had to know Christ as Savior. It's a bottomless pit. It's falling. And the saddest part is eternal. One of the things that grips my soul every time I go to a third world country, to a, a, what we call developing country. I went out to Daru, brother. A lot of poverty in Daru. A lot of folks that break my heart as I go up the streets of the island of Daru. And I walk up the streets and I'm seeing them making their food with the flies everywhere. I see the little kids with hardly anything. The little house, the hovel of a shack that they live in. And I think, God, it's bad enough they have to live in that. But could you imagine 
also dying and going to hell after living there. The tragedy of it. There was a man one time, young man, he worked at a, he was a member of Cleveland Baptist. And he came to Wednesday night. And he went forward at the Wednesday night service and pastor pray for me. I don't take hell seriously. Well, pastor hadn't even preached on hell. He said, what are you, what are you talking about? He worked as an EMT at the local hospital, an assistant, the emergency room. A young man had gone out and he worked at a factory where they made test tubes and jars and things. And they had to be extremely dry for chemicals. And so there was a special chemical they could put in there that the minute the chemical touches water, it poofs into a little flame. And, dis and every, every, every bit of humidity is gone when they do that. He thought it would be kind of neat, so he stole some of that powder, put it in a little jar with himself. He said, we're going to have a party. We're going to go out and friends are going to come over. We'll be drinking. And they had a party and he had that little jar. He said, I'm going to take a little bit of it. I'm going to throw it in some water and everybody's going to get, whoa, because it's going to go poof in flames. Well, he'd been drinking and so forth. And so he, was in the, he went into the bathroom, took a little of it out. But when he did, he slipped. And the glass jar it was in hit the porcelain of the sink and poof, all the powder puffed up into his face. He immediately began to perspire and little flames started popping on his face. He started screaming. They realized something was wrong. They rushed into the hospital. That young man was in the hospital when they brought him in standing there to work. The nurses, not knowing what it was, thought, well, we need to clean this off. They got a sponge, they got a rag, they began to wipe. And as they did, it just burst into flames on his face and skin just started to peel off. And as he got more upset, more nervous, the flames just kept popping out on his body and they realized we can't wipe him off. They basically sat there and had to skin him to take the powder out that embedded into his thing. That young man came to church on that Wednesday night and said, Preacher, please pray for me. I've never seen hell like I saw it tonight or this week. It's real. There is, and by the way, that's pretty extreme, isn't it? Is, is our penalty for sin extreme? And by the way, it's not just for a few days. It's not just for a year. The Bible says it's eternity. My loved ones, your loved ones that don't know Christ, the lost in the world, they'll be there suffering forever. That's pretty extreme. Our condition, lost condition was extreme. The penalty for our sin is extreme. But let me hasten to say the price of our redemption was extreme. When Jesus came to this earth and died on the cross, it wasn't a half-hearted offering. He gave us all. God bankrupt heaven to give us salvation. He sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, lived a perfect life. It was no second-rate offering. It took God's best, his son. Isaiah 53, every time we do the Lord's Supper, I did it as a pastor and I do it now as a member. Every time we take the Lord's Supper, I have a habit of reading Isaiah chapter 53. But listen to verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief, whom when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. 
He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul. And he shall be satisfied by his knowledge. And shall my righteous servant justify many. For he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he hath poured out his soul unto death. The price of our redemption was extreme. I didn't need Mel Gibson's The Passion of Christ to understand how bad the cross of Calvary was. By the way, have you ever thought about this? God could have made the Bible a video, couldn't he? But he chose not to, because number one, most of us, if we were Christian, wouldn't watch it. Because there's parts of it we wouldn't want to sit our family to watch. But we can read it because it doesn't display it. God put it in a book. One of my friends, he says that anytime I start to feel a little bit backslidden, he said, I go get a nice short haircut and then I read the Calvary. I read what Jesus did. He, he, the price of a redemption is extreme. Jesus gave himself, Philippians chapter 2, John 15, 13, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Let me hasten on to say, now first our lost condition is extreme. The penalty for our sin is extreme. The price of redemption is extreme. But fourthly, our position in Christ as a believer is extreme. Romans chapter 8 verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. I can't go to hell if I wanted to. God's promised if I'm in Christ, I'm going to heaven. There is no condemnation to them. I'm, I'm free. I don't fear hell. I don't fear death like that. Number two, we're kept by the power of God. Ephesians chapter one, verse three says we're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. The Bible says that we're put into the hand of God and it's put into the hand of, when we're put in the hand of Christ and then it's sealed with the Holy Spirit of God. And if any of you dear elderly ladies know what it means to, to make, uh, to can things, remember? Now this generation doesn't can like they used to, but we used to can pickles and applesauce and all sorts of things. You go canning, that which is sealed, I'm going to use bad English, don't spoil, amen? That which is sealed doesn't spoil. And if we're sealed with the Holy Spirit of God, uh, the Bible says that we're placed in his hand. I remember reading one, one, one liberal or one uh, Armenian preacher say, oh, yeah, but you can crawl out of the hand. Why would you want to crawl out of the hand of God? There's no way I want to crawl out. Uh, we're, we're children of the king of glory. I'm a child of the king. Join heir with, the, with his son. One time. Ronald Reagan was president. He came to the University of Alabama. And one of my members worked there and got me tickets to go see him. Now, again, I'm aging myself a little bit. Ronald Reagan got up to speak, and I'll never forget, there were a big group here and two on the sides. There was an aisle over here and an aisle over here, and there was a microphone up there and a microphone over here. He did his speech first, and then he was going to take questions. I, he probably knew this, but the first question was supposed to come from the left. But he kept looking over here. And it was a little awkward. The young man said, Mr. President, Mr. President, over here. He said, I'm sorry, I just naturally turn right. Uh, <laughs> but, but afterwards, I was sitting right up front. And I'll never forget, he started to walk by. 
and the Secret Service kind of, they put like a cone around him. They're, they're, they're little. And I, I was able to walk up and he said, hello, young man. Now, that was a long time ago. He said, hello, young man. And I got to shake his hand. Oh, oh. I went back to my church. I said, that's the hand right there. Shook the president of the United States, huh? I didn't wash it for a long time. Of course, my wife says I don't wash my hands enough anyway. But I, you know, and by the way, if you want to come touch that hand after service, let me know. <laughs> I, I mean, I was proud of it. I shook the hand of Ronald Reagan. You know what? That's great. But I'm a child of the king. I'm joint heir with Jesus Christ. That's extreme. I'm a child of the king. A child of the king. Huh? With Jesus, my Savior, I'm a child of the King. Our position in Christ is extreme. And we have all the promises signed in the blood of Jesus Christ. Our possessions that the, that the Son of God has are ours by His blood. Our position in Christ is extreme. So, number one, our lost condition is extreme. Number two, the penalty for our sin is extreme. Number three, uh, the price of our redemption is extreme. And number four, our position in Christ is extreme. But let me give you another one. Please think this through. The joy that's set before us is pretty extreme too, amen? One of these days we're going to heaven. It's not a pie in the sky, I think. It's a real place. It's a place, heaven is a prepared place for prepared people to go one day. I remember hearing, reading a book one time, and this preacher, you know, we preachers always looking for discounts and deals. And he, he heard about a funeral home going out of business. And they have suits that they put the, the bodies in of people that die. And so he, they were selling all this, I mean, real cheap. So this preacher said, well, I can go get me a suit. And so he went and bought a couple of suits that fit nicely. He was real happy with them. He didn't pay a whole lot of attention because they fit real well. He got up on Sunday morning and started to stick his hand in his pockets and there wasn't any pockets in the suits. And then it hit him, dead men don't need pockets, amen. <laughs> there was no pockets in the suit pants or anything. They just for looks. Stories told about an angel going through the pockets of a man that died and he had all his gold stuffed into his pockets. The angel pulled it out and said, huh, pavement. And threw it down. Amen. You know, there's no, there's no uh, uh, um, uh, toe ball on the back of a, a hearse. Oh, but heaven is a real place, a prepared place for prepared people. And one of these days, I'm going to see my loved ones. I have a grandfather that was a preacher. I have every one of his sermons. I mean, he kept unbelievable details. He, I can tell you everybody he married and buried from uh, 1927 on when he became a preacher. Every place he's ever preached, I preached some of his sermons because he's got all of them filed. He had four brothers. All five of them were preachers. But I, re I read some of his. Now, he was a Methodist back when the Methodists preached the gospel true and straight. I've got a sermon of his called The World's Greatest Question, What Must I Do to Be Saved? And he has another sermon called The World's Greatest Answer, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and Thou Shalt Be Saved. Now, I got saved at 18 years of age. I was a child of a rebellious preacher's kid. 
So I didn't really understand a lot of that. My granddaddy died probably two years after I got saved. And the few times I sat down with him, I'd say, Granddaddy, tell me about revival meetings. Tell me what it was like. My other grandfather, my, my, my grandfather on my mother's side was the pastor in town. My other grandfather on my dad's side was the doctor in town, my namesake. He died before I was born. My grandfather on my mother's side, W.A. Patty, he preached the funeral of my other grandfather. It was a joy for me to go back, find out when he preached it, look up the sermon and read the very sermon he preached at my other grandfather's funeral. He used to send me a little money in Bible college. He told me one time, he said, oh, I've quit going to the Methodist church. They're getting a touch of Catholic in them. So he started going to a Baptist church his later years in life, lived to be 94. He used to say at 90 years old, he said, I'm going down to the old folks home to visit the old folks. Because my mama kept him in the house. Baptist preacher called me one day. He said, he's the only Methodist pastor I've got on the roll at the Baptist church. <laughs> I didn't get to know him as a Christian very well. But I believe with all my heart, one day in heaven, I'm going to see him. I'm going to get to talk to him about it. My loved ones. I've got members when I was their pastor. Brother Jack Dennis was an old army cook. Rough. My soul. He was a hard army cook. He came to church one time. I wasn't pastor there yet, but his wife told me, Miss Dennis, said he was sitting way back over here, came into church drunk. Pastor Rushing got up and preached and just lit into alcohol. I mean, he just, he knew he was drunk and he just preached for 30 minutes on the rotten sin of alcohol. Miss Dennis said, I wanted to crawl in a hole. I thought Jack was going to beat him up after the service. He walked out to the back and he looked at Brother Rushing in the face and said, you're the first man that's told the truth, shook his hand for long. He was saved, one of the most faithful members of my church. He got cancer. It was around his middle section real bad. He couldn't wear a belt. His shoes, his feet began to swell real bad with the cancer and he'd get oversized tennis shoes. He said, preacher, do you mind if I, I wear bib overalls? I said, brother, I don't care. Whatever makes you comfortable. He'd wear bib overalls and a tie. <laughs> Never forget, nice white shirt, nice tie bib overalls. He said, I can't put a belt on, it hurts so bad. He couldn't sit in the pew. We had wooden pews and he brought a, a lawn chair. He'd sit off to the side. Last week of his life, we had revival meeting. He never missed a service. He'd come up to take the offering. He was my dearest friend. He showed me how to mow the lawn one time. I was just a young preacher and we had to push mow it. And he said, now son, I'm gonna show you what you do when you get real hot. And he'd gone and got some watermelons and stuck them in the, the creek for a while. And he brought those watermelons. He said, now son, I'm gonna show you how to bust a watermelon. He said, we're not gonna cut that thing, we are gonna bust it. And he took it off the side, he bust that thing. He said, now you dip in with your hand and you get the heart of that thing. It'll be the best eating you ever had in your life. Of course, I was sweating. I remember sitting under the tree and he telling me his testimony, busting a watermelon. One day, he died. I preached his funeral. It wasn't a funeral, it was a celebration. But he's in heaven and I look forward to seeing him.
Miss Priscilla Taco, Will Holmes Taco's dear wife. In Papua New Guinea, every culture is a little different. But Miss, Miss Holmes, when you would come up to meet her, she would get down and hug your feet. And she was what I call a weeper. The minute you say, oh, she just, just crying. She came down with cancer and I helped bury her a couple months back. I was so glad when I told the church, I said, you know, she used to meet me at the airport and come up and grab my feet and hug me and just start crying because she was so happy to see me. I said, one day, and I believe God's going to let her greet me in heaven one day. There's a real heaven. And it's extreme. Years ago, my pastor was Brother Jack Legrand. Some of the folks know uh, Brother Jack Legrand. He's in heaven now, Glen Iris Baptist Church. That's where I sending church and Brother Legrand came down with Lou Gehrig's disease or we call, it's called ALS. I'll never forget about three weeks before he died. I was helping him into the back door of the church. And he said, you know, Brother Allen, I've got Lou Gehrig's disease. I'm dying and I've never played baseball in my life. You got to get his humor he had. But we were at his home, Miss Doris, his wife. We were all around the Cluth. Some of you might know the Brother Miss Cluth, Brother Miss Lamb. Their, grand, their kids, my kids. Uh, Jack and John weren't there, but the others. We were all around the bed, and Miss Doris called us and said, Miss Legrand called us and said, Jack's not doing well. You need to come on in. We rushed on in there to the room we'd been working on the house because he couldn't climb stairs anymore, and we're all around the house, all around his bed. We start singing songs. He's got ALS. <laughs> Struggling to breathe. And... Uh, we sang just inside the eastern gates when the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more. We sang all sorts of Christian songs. Forlong Kathy, his daughter, said, Papa, Daddy, what are you looking at? It was so obvious he was looking past us. Now, he'd been struggling terrible. Miss Legrand looked at him and said, Look, Daddy, don't worry about it. The boys will take care of me. I'll be fine. And if you know anything about hospice and how things happen at the end, there's a release that comes. And he quit fighting it. And, but Kathy said, Papa, Daddy, what are you looking at? Because he was looking past us. Now, I'm not charismatic and I'm not weird. Well, no, I am weird. But I'm not charismatic. Before long, he said, oh, it's so bright. <gasps> They're my friends. Oh, my God. And he died. You could have heard a pin drop. Because I just watched a saint of God go into glory. He went to see God. Now, folks, that's pretty extreme. I think there'd be more doctors saved if we didn't dope up everybody that's dying. Because I've been to the hospital when I had a lady screaming and said, don't let them take me, I'm burning, don't let them take me. I've been with one that way. But the joy that's set before us is pretty extreme. Now upon these premises, the fact our lost condition is extreme, the fact our penalty of sin is extreme, the price of our redemption is extreme, the, our position in Christ is extreme, and, and, and the joy that's set before us is upon these premises. Does God not have the right to ask of us total devotion? Is he asking something extreme for us to 
read the Bible? Is, is that too extreme? Is praying too much to ask? Is soul winning really too much to ask? Is faithfulness to church and to God too much to ask? Is, is giving too much to ask? Is going to the mission field really too much to ask? Should we harbor bitterness in light of these extremes? Should we be angry about things and not get reconciliation in light of these? Should, should we argue, argue standards and argues this and that? Our love for the Lord should motivate, direct, and cause us to be faithful. Our love should motivate us to endure and do anything our Lord asks of us. Can we not admit our love for our children? And now as I've gotten older and said goodbye to my parents, our love for our parents causes us to do things we would not normally do. My mama was 92. We brought her to live with us. We tried to help her keep her dignity as long as we possibly could because she was my mama. But I ended up having to take care of my mama and doing things that I'm sorry, it's, it was out of my comfort zone. But I'd do it because I love my mama. Hey, she did it for me when I couldn't do it for myself. Our love for the Lord for, 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 for should cause us to do things that we would not. It'd get us out of our comfort zone. Get us out of that, oh, I'll, I, you, know, you said, well, that's extreme. Wasn't everything else extreme? One of my privileges has been to go to India. We built an orphanage after the big tsunami in India. <coughs> Had the privilege to go to the summer palace in Mysore, which is a beautiful palace. The, 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 the uh, floors of it are marble. In one ballroom, they have rubies, gems, diamonds, everything implanted in the marble. How, I don't know. The doors, teak wood and, and rosewood, all beautifully and intricately carved to the point that the guys that carved it had their hands cut off so they could never do it anyplace ever again. And I've walked through that place. The unbelievable, the, the, the saddle that goes on the elephant that the Maharaja would ride on was Pure gold, unbelievable amount of gold. The story is told one day, there was a young beggar that stood outside the palace with his little bowl and his people would go by. And if you've ever been to India, you can see it other places too, but the beggars, they're everywhere. Everywhere you go, there's folks begging, young children. The streets, when you go along, there'll be a 12-year-old girl with a baby on her. It may not be her baby, but it may be a little sister, but she's begging on the street. But this beggar stands on the side of the road and he'd cry out, rice, rice. And folks in compassion would walk by and put a little rice in his bowl. That little bowl of rice. One day while he was standing out there with the, his bowl, he suddenly saw dust coming from the distance and realized it was an entourage, a huge entourage. And before he realized it, it was actually the Maharaja coming himself on his mighty elephant. He thought, certainly, I'll eat well tonight. He'll have compassion on me. I'll, I'll stand here. And as the mighty elephant came and the handlers with their sticks and their bamboo, hiya, hiya, and they're moving that elephant for long, like, and down it comes. And off the side comes the Maharaja with his little shoes curled up in the top with little bells on the top of it. 
beautifully, intricately dressed, he walked up to the beggar. The beggar goes, rice, rice. The Maharaja looked at him and said, have you any rice for the Raja? The beggar's eyes about bugged out. He's asking me rice. Now he knew he couldn't argue because his head would be gone just immediately. Totally control. Have you any rice for the Raja? Finally, the beggar looked down in his little bowl of rice and he pulled out three little pieces of rice and handed them to the Raja. The Raja took them, handed them to one of his servants, grabbed a little leather bag, opened it up, took out three small pieces of gold and dropped them in the bowl. Got back on the elephant and started to ride away. The story is told that the beggar looked down at his bowl of rice with three little pieces of gold and said, why? Why didn't I give him all of it? Why did I hold back? Why didn't I give him all? And please, with all the passion I know, not the best sermon I've ever preached, and I know that. But one day we're going to get to heaven and we're going to wish we had given him all of it. It's not extreme for him to ask of us total devotion. It's our reasonable duty, Romans chapter 12. It's just reasonable to give him our life. Father, thank you for the opportunity. I, Lord, I personally, since I've struggled more tonight, I wish I could preach better. Lord, I, I wish you were here. I wish you were one doing the preaching. I'd gladly sit on the floor. But I've tried to express out of my lips what you put in my heart, that God, you ask of us extreme devotion, and it is not unreasonable. It is our reasonable service. Please, dear Lord, may our love for you be so much that some may mistake it for not loving the things that we should naturally love. Lord, we're not denying any love for them, but our love for you drives us and motivates us. And God, when we get to heaven, may we not look back in remorse saying, why didn't I give him that? Why did I hold back? Father, please help us. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Pastor, you come. You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklake.org where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram where you can see what's happening happening at Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.